All right, praise the Lord. Um, a couple weeks back, a month or so back, we were going through Psalm 20, uh, last time we were in the Psalms. And uh, with that, we went through Second Samuel's seven chapters, really kind of cruising through those. We talked about David taking the Jebusite city. We talked about uh, how God gave Zion to David and, uh, and established him as king. Uh, Zion is the city of David, and to this day they're, they're uh, excavating. And um, you can check that on, out on the internet. And um, you know, I don't think we as Appleton have any plans in the near future to take a trip to Israel. But Chris Quintana, who we're all pretty familiar with from our conferences, if you're not, um, you can especially look up Old Path Ministries if you want to jot that down. Old Path Ministries, Chris Quintana teaches there online. He is leading a trip. To Israel. This is not an official announcement. Dwight did not ask me to say this, but it just occurred to me. We we're talking about uh, um, talking about the uh, David's city, and they're excavating. They're finding all kinds of things. Um, there's just clear archaeological evidence. Not to mention the Word of God is our truest testimony that indeed the land is was given to Israel, and King David indeed was king in Israel. And um, anyway, so that. They're excavating it to this day. Well, David built himself a palace there, and we talked about that uh, a few weeks back. But he also desired to build uh, God a temple also. And if you remember, God says, you know, you're a man of war, but your son, I'll let him build. And uh, nevertheless, David, his greatest desire was to be in the presence of the Lord. How many Psalms he wrote, you know, how good it is to go to the temple and, and go to be in the presence of the Lord. And so David does desire to bring the ark. The ark was not in uh, Jerusalem yet, and it had been taken captive by the Philistines and, and it had been making its way back after causing all kinds of trouble for the Philistines. But um, So there's a parallel passage that describes this uh, to a little more of a detail about when he brought the ark back and so if you'd like to turn, we're going to go to First Chronicles uh, 16. And we're going to read about that day that David brought the ark back to Jerusalem. In verses 1 through 6, So they brought the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. And then they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before God. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord, and then he distributed to everyone of Israel, both man and woman, to, every, um, to everyone, a loaf of bread and a piece of meat and a cake of raisins. And he appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord to commemorate, to thank, and to praise the Lord God of Israel. Asaph, the chief, and next to him, Zechariah, and then these other guys. And they all had made music. I, I know that you can mispronounce them just as well as I can. <laughs> so uh, they had brought in, uh, before the Lord instruments, and they played music and harps. And it's interesting, Asaph made music with cymbals, you know. And that's something to that. Benaiah and these guys, the priests, regularly blew the trumpets before the Ark of the Covenant of God. This is a big day for David. This was, uh, he brought, you know, his probably the biggest day. He's bringing the presence of the Lord to be where he lives. 
um, such a, a picture for us, seeing his greatest desire come to pass, that he could be in the presence of the Lord and minister to him, that he could have music. In fact, uh, he wrote a psalm. He wrote a song specifically for this day, and uh, he, is, he established the musicians to be in the, in the temple or in the tabernacle at that time regularly. And so the next few verses uh, for all the way through to uh, 36 is a good thing for us to read. It's the song that David wrote specifically for this time. And we're going to just go through that on verse 7. On that day, first, on that day, David first delivered this psalm into the hand of Asaph and his brethren to thank the Lord. He says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord and call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Sing to him. Sing psalms to him. Talk of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord and seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face evermore. Remember his marvelous works which he has done, his wonders and his judgments of his mouth. O seed of Israel, his servant, you children of Jacob, his chosen ones. You know, it's such an application for us too, right? All the things the Lord's done in our lives. And uh, we come here on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights and even, I'm sure, in your homes, you know, and whenever you get the chance to just sing a song and worship before the Lord. It's pleasing to the Lord. It ministers to him. It's worship. It's a sacrifice we make as unto the Lord just to lift up our voices, to sacrifice all the distractions that so easily beset us on any given Sunday morning and um, lay all that aside and uh, make that sacrifice of praise and worship. And he's talking to the seed of Israel, his servant, you chosen of Jacob, his chosen ones. And we know, indeed, in Jesus Christ, we are also chosen. And he is the Lord our God, in verse 14. His judgments are in all the earth. Remember his covenant forever. The word which he commanded for thousands of generations, and, or for a thousand generations, and the covenant which he made with Abraham, and his oath to Isaac, and confirmed it to Jacob for a statute to Israel for an everlasting covenant, saying, To you I will give the land of Canaan as an allotment of your inheritance. And when you were few in number indeed, very few, and strangers in it, when they went from one nation to another and from one kingdom to another people, he permitted no man to do them wrong. Yes, he rebuked kings for their sakes, saying, Do not touch my anointed ones, do not, and do my prophets no harm. Sing to the Lord all the earth and proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wonder among all peoples. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is also to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and gladness are in his place. Give to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord glory, the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before him in all the world, in all the earth. The world also is firmly established and it shall not be moved. Let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. Let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea roar in all its fullness. Let the field rejoice and all that's in it. Then the trees of the wood shall rejoice before the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, 
for his mercy endures forever. And say, save us, O God, of our salvation. Gather us together and deliver us from the Gentiles to give thanks to your holy name, to triumph in your praise. And blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. And all the people said, Amen. And praise the Lord. I wasn't going to ask for that, but it's in there, and you did. (laughs) Praise the Lord, right? The glory do his name. And as you're reading through this, there's probably a dozen worship songs that we already do that that, uh, are in this passage. You know, this was a big day. Notice how David recounts all the mighty works that the Lord had done in Israel. And he also continues to ask that he would defend them, that he would deliver them from the Gentiles. And um, in fact, he asked for God's salvation from them, victory over them. In verses uh, 37 through 43, he says that they began to worship. He left Asaph and his brothers there before the Ark of the Covenant and the Lord to minister before the Ark regularly and every day's work required. So he established the tabernacle, he brought the Ark of the Covenant, and he, he now is leaving those guys there to do this. And all of these guys, uh, Obed-Edom, 68 brethren, including these guys, and uh, Zadok, uh, the priest, and his brother and the priests, uh, before the tabernacle of the Lord in the high place that was at Gibeon, to offer burnt offerings to the Lord on the altar of burnt offerings regularly, morning and evening, to continue to worship the Lord, uh, do according to all that was written in the law, and with him, uh, Heman and Jedithun and the rest who were chosen, who were des- designated by name, to give thanks to the Lord because His mercy endures forever. And with them, Heman, Haman and Jedithun, uh, to sound aloud with trumpets and cymbals and the musical instruments, God of God. Now the sons of Jedithun uh, were the gatekeepers. That's interesting, you know, music playing right at the gates. Um, Loud trumpets, loud, and uh, cymbals, loud, so it can be heard a long ways off. But verse 43 is interesting. Then all the people departed, every man to his house, and David returned to bless his own house. Remember, the Lord allowed him to uh, build his own house. He built himself. His desire was to build the Lord house. But he did get his desire in that he was able to bring God's presence to Jerusalem to Mount Zion, where David was king. Now chapter 17 is what that we talked about. He desired to build a temple for God, um, but he would have to allow Solomon to build it. And we talked about that a few weeks back. But the Lord also establishes David's throne forever. And uh, we had studied that as well, but I want you to draw your attention to verses 16 through 27. What's David's response? He's gone home. Um, and he'd been dwelling in his house, and he's thinking on these things and what God had done for him and established him. And now David knew. David knew that God had established him. But look at his response. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Well, who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? And yet this was a small thing in your sight, O God, and you have also spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come and and have regarded me according to the rank of a man of the high degree, O Lord God. 
What more can David say to you for the honor of your servant? For you know your servant. O Lord, for your servant's sake and according to your own heart, you have done all this greatness in making known all these great things. O Lord, there is none like you, nor is there any God besides you. You, according to all that we have heard with our ears, and who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth who God went to redeem for himself as a people, to make for yourself a name, by great and awesome deeds, by driving out the nations from before you, your people whom you redeemed from Egypt. For you have made your people Israel, your very own people forever, and you, Lord, have become their God. And now, O Lord, the word which you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, will let it be established forever, and do as you have said. So let it be established that your name may be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, is Israel's God. Let the house of your servant David be established before you. For you, O my God, have revealed to your servant that you will build him a house. Therefore, your servant has found in his heart to pray before you. And now, Lord, you are God and have promised this goodness to your servant. And now notice the contrast between last chapter 43 and this verse 27. David blessed his house at the end of chapter 16. But now it's God you have been pleased to bless the house of your servant that it, may be continu- that it may continue before you forever that you have blessed it, O Lord, and it shall be blessed forever. David's response, who am I? You know, I'm nothing. You're everything, Lord. You've chosen, you've established your people and you've chosen and established the house of King David forever. Because I, when I started studying for Psalm 20, it, it bothered me. He's talking about the king in the, himself in the third person. And he's doing that here in chapter 17 as well. You know, let David your servant. And it was, it was just find it interesting because normally when you, people talk about themselves in the third person, it's, I don't know what the word is, presumptuous at least. And, um, and so I had to sort that out. And certainly the Lord did establish his kingdom. And... Uh, David's kingdom and his name and his house forever. So now he's talking about himself in the third person and it helps us make a little more understanding with Psalm 21, if you want to go there. And I think based on the context, um, chapters 20 and chapters 21, Psalm 20 and 21, both kind of go hand in hand. They both are dealing with this time in David's life when he had built his house and the Lord had built up his house and made him promises um, forever and also had given, uh, you know, begun to give, and give him his enemies and put uh, uh, his enemies were in God's hands. And that's kind of what Psalm 21 is about. So verse 1, joy in your own strength and accomplishments is pride. But when we see God working in our life, doing things that only he can do, we see his strength. So verse 1, The king shall have joy in your strength, O Lord, not my own, not his own, and in your salvation, and how greatly he shall rejoice. You know, so much that we see, you know, in our lives, we can tend to, to forget that that would only be possible if God had saved us. So many of the good things that I have in my life beginning with Mary, beginning with my wife, and, and so many things. As a non-believer, never would have happened. You know, and so if we think back, 
as, as before we got saved, what our lives were like and what would have happened. And now we're here. We meet all these people, each other. And uh, we have friends, close friends. We have fellowship. Never would have happened if we hadn't gotten saved. These are the things that he gets the glory for. We can't, you know, take glory for that. If we had never gotten saved, we, you know, we wouldn't be here. But it takes faith. And I want to have you turn to Hebrews 11. So much of what we enjoy. Um, and so much that God has done through us. Um, nevertheless, we also need faith to understand so much of uh, what he's been doing in our lives. Hebrews 11 talks about Abel. It's the hall of faith, if you will. Uh, chapter 11, something you, if you haven't been through, it's good to read. And when you do study through it, it's good to go back and study each one of those stories so you can put them into context. Um, he uh, talks about the faith of Abel, the faith of Enoch, uh, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, the harlot, and her faith. But Hebrews 11, uh, 32 through 39, um, he continues on. He says, And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, and Barak, and Samson, and Jephthah, and also of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, and out of weakness they were made strong and became valiant in battle to fight the armies of the aliens. And uh, how far is it going? All the way to 39. Still, uh, women received their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mockings and scourgings, and yes, of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned and they were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world is not worthy. And they wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And now all of these, notice, have, having obtained a good testimony through faith, look at this, it says they did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Um, you know, David continued to subdue kingdoms. Uh, God had commanded Israel to take the land from the Canaanites. And so uh, through Joshua, uh, he entered the land. He began to subdue and take the kingdoms and take the land and continued on through Joshua's life. And, and uh, Joshua and Caleb, Caleb was 80 years old and still wanted to get the land that he was promised. And he went into it and did it. He was a valiant fighter. Um, David took upon lions. Remember when he was a shepherd boy, he was able to take on lions. And he knew it was God's strength at that time. He had already been uh, singing and ministering to the Lord and, and as a young boy to the point where no big deal to take on Goliath. You know, he's been, he's, he knows the strength and the glory was in, in, the, in the Lord and not in anything of his own abilities. Pick up some stones and let's see if we can't take it out. So, and then after that, garrisons of Philistines. And he'd seek the Lord. He'd go up again. Should I go up, Lord? Yeah. Should I go up this time? Well, no, hang out in the mulberry trees. And when you start to hear the marching in the trees... 
and go out. Well, the Lord had gone before him. David knew this. David knew that he had, um, he could fight valiantly, knowing that the Lord was doing it through him. David obtained promises, as it talks about in Hebrews, even giving the promise of the Messiah, Messiah and the throne to last forever. But again, in verse 39, these guys didn't receive the promise. Well, what was the promise? We'll go back to verse 13 in chapter 11. Verse 13 through 16. Earlier he was talking about uh, the faith of Abraham and all, but these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, they were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would, not, they would, have, op, they would have had opportunity to go back. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them, just like us. You know, the picture of Israel coming out of Egypt is a picture of us coming out of our old lives, forsaking that which was behind and entering into the promise of the Holy Land and entering into the promise of our rest. And that's a whole other Bible study in Hebrews. But we have this opportunity to return unless we're looking for heaven. If, if in Corinthians, Paul says, if we only have hope in this world, in Jesus Christ, well, we're men most miserable because we're just, you know, without the resurrection, these bodies, you know, the older you get, the more they mistreat you. <laughs> you know, we, we just tend to, we fall apart and they, they bother us. What, well, you know, when you're young, you get upset about something that itches. When you're old, you get upset about something that's, you know, can't let you sleep at night. It hurts so bad, you know, and so it's one of those things where we have a hope in the things to come. And that's what we have to do. And that's what these guys did. They had a hope in another country, in a heavenly place. The resurrection was alive and well in the hearts of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, David. And um, there was no mystery there that they, they were seeking a place to come, a promise to come. Now, you know, God prepared them a heavenly city. But they were an example to us, too. They, you know, they fought valiantly. They endure hardship, even to the point of death. And, you know, in the New Testament, there's many examples of the, the believers who have, were martyrs, you know. And we know, we can, in fact, if you haven't read this book, it's probably a worthy read. It's called the Fox's Book of Martyrs. And, um, you know, I don't know, I think there's actually a place that updates it. And there are, um, uh, there, I think there's actually a, a place, a website called The Voice of the Martyrs. And it updates regularly. Now, I don't know all the things involved with their ministry and what their doctrine necessarily is, but at the very least, you're able to get from them an idea of what life is like in a lot of the world for believers. You know, we're going to get, well, these days you might lose your job for your faith. You're certainly not going to get a job in a lot of places because of your faith. If you're trying to get into the, the field of science, it's not going to be as easy it is, as it is for a Darwinist, you know, because they, they're not going to allow it. So we do suffer for our faith, but there are those that their lives are lost for their faith. And um, there are those that lose their families. And some of us may have lost our families, you know, and the Lord says, if you don't forsake, you know, mother, brother, 
or mother, father, brother, sister, you know, for, for his name's sake, you know, there will be division oftentimes. There will be separation oftentimes when you start witnessing to your friends and family and all of a sudden, you know, what? You know, I know you. I grew up with you. I know what you're like. Yeah, well, the Lord forgave my sins. and I'm not walking down that path anymore. Well, what about me? Are you saying I'm, yeah, I don't know. You know, that's, that's your decision to get to be with the Lord and all. But anyway, as an example, um, in Hebrews 12, he goes on just for a couple verses. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of the Father. He's our example. How did Jesus endure the cross? Well, he was looking for the joy that was set before him. How are we going to endure anything in this life? The, the pains, the, the, the ailments, the pain that we deal with, and the whether it's surgeries or injuries or, or just emotional families, loss of loved ones, how do we endure that? Because we're looking for the kingdom. Yesterday we had a funeral here and, and of a dear brother in the Lord, and he's, he's not with us right now, but we're going to be with him. We are going to be with him. Um, you know, the most important thing in Psalm 21 we can go back there if you'd like. You know, we really do want to keep our eyes on the things to come. It's really for that joy set before us. Um, and that's why we can have joy. And we can rejoice in that we also have this heavenly city and a glorious future. But Psalm 21, verse 2, says, And you have given him his heart's desire, have not withheld the request of his lips. Selah. And Selah simply means, you know, just hold it up in front of your mind for a while. Just let that, you know, roll that around in your mind. You know, God gave David the desire of his hearts, his heart when he brought him back, uh, when he brought the ark back, gave him Zion, gave him Jerusalem, but then he brought his presence to be with David. God did not withhold the request of his lips. David did not hold back his lips about coming to the Lord with anything, often seeking direction, asking for deliverance from his enemies, and, and um, you know, often calling on the Lord for mercy for his sins because he did blow it. And for us, the most important thing we're ever going to do is call upon the Lord. The most important thing you and I are ever going to do is seek the Lord, seek his face. Nobody can do that for you. Your dad can't do it for you. Your mom can't do it for you. Your brothers can't do it for you. Your sisters, um, your friends, none of us can do that for you. No priest, no reverend, no pastor, no born-again believer. Each one needs to come before the Lord on his own. Um, I was, you know, really kind of taken aback at the wisdom God's given our pastor, Dwight. Um, it was a while back that uh, he'd visited um, for for the sake of a believer, he'd went to visit a, a fellow in the hospital who um, was on his deathbed. And he shared the gospel with him. He told him about the thief on the cross. And um, 
But he says, you know, I'm not going to pray with you. And I, I thought, what? And, but he says, you know, because I want you, you need to seek the Lord. It's got to come from your heart. We can't sit in this room and you just listen to me pray. You've got to do it for yourself. I'm, it just took me back. And, um, you know, so God gave David the desire of his heart. But each one of us, that's got to be our heart's desire. Um, each one of us must call on the Lord to be saved, to be born again. But also each one of us needs to call on the Lord to receive the Holy Spirit. And how do you receive the Holy Spirit? If you want to turn to Luke 11. So he says, in, in talking about prayer context-wise, the Lord's just uh, ministering to the disciples, talking about how to pray. He and, you know, what many call the Lord's Prayer, which really isn't the Lord's Prayer. The, the Lord's Prayer is in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Lord's Prayer is uh, John chapter 17. But that's the first few verses. And, um, you know, then he talks about how you're supposed to pursue the Lord. You know, just come before him. And in uh, verses 5 through, through 8, you know, he gives the example of, you know, if you're going to go to somebody, you know, even, even if it's in the middle of the night, you know, the guy's going to get up and he's going to be mad at you, but go anyway. You know, the Lord's not going to be mad at us for going. That's not the, the point. The point is, no matter what, go. But then he says in verse 9, he says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given. When seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. But notice this simple principle. If a son asks for bread... And any father among you, well, will you give him a stone? Just common sense. If he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Why would you do harm to your own kids? So how much more, using that simple wisdom, you know, in verse 12, or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? Why would he do, do him harm? But he says, then, if you then, being evil, because we're just a bunch of sinners, but we know enough to love our own kids, to take care of our own kids, to feed our own kids, how much you being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who do what? All kinds of rituals and burn all kinds of sacrifices and do all kinds of works? No, just ask. That's all it is. To those who ask him, just ask. And if you want to turn to John 6, there's a little bit more about that. Because there's a lot of people looking for a formula. And now they know the formula is easy. Just ask. For them, it's still just a formula. Maybe for the wrong motives. But John 6, 37 through 39. Again, uh, talking about bread from heaven. The Lord had fed the 5,000 And they followed him. But now he's saying, you know, you have Jesus. He's the bread from heaven. But you also have the word, the word of God. And um, in verse uh, 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And all who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven do I have the wrong verse, the wrong chapter? I'm in, yeah, John six thirty-seven through 39. For I have come down from heaven, 
uh, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up on the last day. And I think I got the wrong verse. Huh. Well, the verse I was going to be talking about is um, when he came up on the day, uh, the, the last day of the feast. And forgive me, I don't remember which passage it is, but, um, you know, he says, Come unto me, all you who are thirsty. And he spoke of giving them the Holy Spirit. So the condition on it was that you have to be thirsty. It's, not, it's one thing to be, you know, have a formula and want to get all this for yourself just by saying, Lord, I want your Holy Spirit. Well, it's another thing that from the heart you're thirsty. And um, if any of you found that verse, no? Okay. Well, anyways, believing in Jesus. But notice he says, if you're thirsty, and he who hungers for thirst and thirsts for righteousness will be filled. Now, God gave David the desires of his heart and the request of his lips. And as an example to every one of us as well, that would ask for God's mercy and ask for forgiveness, ask for salvation and ask for eternal life. It's God's grace and his mercy, and David has his desires of his heart given to him. If you go back to Psalm 21, verses 3 and 4, he says he met him with blessings of goodness. You set a crown of pure gold on his head. As we sang this morning, you know, crown him with many crowns, but also we throw our crowns down. The elders, 24 Elders threw their crowns down at the feet of Jesus in that last day in the book of Revelation. And he asks for life from you, and you gave it. Um, he gave David a crown of gold and a long life, and life forever. James 1 says he gives each one of us a crown. But notice John 10 says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. And I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of his hand. And I and my Father are one. Jesus' hand, Father's hand, who's going to get at you in there? And who's going to be able to take you? Who's going to drop you? Can God drop you? You know, that's right. And in prayer. And... Uh, you know, in Jesus' hand and in our Father's hands. In verse 5 and 7 through 7, His glory is great in your salvation. Honor and majesty have placed, uh, you have placed upon Him. For you have made Him most blessed forever, and you have made Him exceedingly glad with your presence. Again, we, you know, David's talking about what God has done in his life. Um, how is David's glory great? Only in God's salvation. How is anything that's in our life we talked about earlier good? Because of God saving us and all the good things that have taken place since then. All glory, all honor, any position David had and any blessing we have is only great in God's salvation. All the rest of it, it's, it's wheat or it's chaff. It's going to blow away. It's stubble. It's going to get burned up. You know, the word there, he says he'll not be moved um, you know, through your mercy, uh, through the mercy of the Most High, he shall not be moved. That word moved there is to totter, uh, to shaken, 
to be shaken, to slip, overthrown, dislodged, fall, or be dropped. And we talked about that. We're in his hands. And because we trust in his mercy, he will not drop us. Acts 20, uh, if you want to turn there. Paul is at the end of his third missionary journey. He had been through uh, Asia. He'd been through, uh, crossed over the mountains on his second journey up and through Asia and all. And many of the letters in the New Testament, uh, Thessalonica, Colossae, then on to Ephesus. And a great work was done. He stayed two years in Ephesus. Then he goes over to Athens. He goes over to uh, Greece and and Italy and so forth and and, um, ends up coming back to Ephesus. And all along the way, this is the end of his third missionary journey. All along the way, we better read it. Um, 17 through 24. Um, It says, From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come... He said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I has always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility and with many tears and trials which happened to me in the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from the house to house, testifying to the Jews and to also to the Greeks repentance toward God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying, The chains and the tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul's at the end of his last journey. He knows he's being bound, bound in the spirit. He knows he's going and he's going to be put in prison. And they've, you know, the prophets came and they tied him up and says, this is what's going to happen to you. And, uh, but he says, none of these things move him. None of these things shook him. When you look at uh, going back to Psalm 21, what would shake you? You know, so many things right now I, that are going on in the world. We we just we have media, but you know you can't hardly trust it for a thing because it's going to show you what it wants. And some of it might be true, but they'll put it in context. That's you know the way they want to have it in context. So it's so hard to to look at any media and to see what's going on. But we see enough, and um, what's going on, and hopefully the refugees that that we can help, the Lord will just bless. And the gospel will go out. But also Haiti. Also many countries around the world that we don't even hear about. India. The persecution of believers. Just the persecution of tribes against each other in places like Africa still going on to this day. These wars that break out. And, um, you know, we don't hear the, uh, probably a percent of all that goes on in the world where people suffer, where people are at war and the things that happen. As believers, are we going to be shaken when this happens to us? When this comes down our street? You know, the streets have been pretty safe for our whole lives, relatively speaking, if you live, you know, someplace besides, you know, South Chicago or somewhere else where it's pretty bad sometimes. But um, for where we're at, relatively speaking, in this country, we don't have a lot of that. And not much shakes us. 
in that realm, like the rest of the world gets shaken or gets moved. But the time's coming. Maybe not in our lifetime. I don't see how we're not going to see the Lord's coming in our lifetime. It just, just doesn't seem to be possible the way things are falling together in prophecy. But the point is, you know, don't be moved. Don't be shaken. Don't totter. Don't allow yourself to even doubt the Lord that he can hold you in his hands. He's not going to drop you. Put your trust in him. Trust in his mercy. And it's by his mercy that he's prepared these places for us. It's by his mercy that he saved us and that we can be here today and uh, that we can be there for eternity. Um, Verses 8 through 12 back in Psalm 21. Your hand will find all your enemies. Your right hand will find those who hate you. You shall make them as a fiery oven in the time of your anger. And the Lord shall swallow them up in his wrath. And the fire shall devour them. Their offspring you shall destroy from the earth and their descendants from among the sons of men. For they intended evil against you and they devised a plot which they are not able to perform. Therefore you will make them turn their back when you point your arrows and your strings toward their faces. Um, You know, we got to remember as much as we are at the very least disappointed in our leadership and all in this country, our enemies are not humans. Our enemies are the principalities and the powers, spiritual things that are behind these things going on in the world and behind what goes on in our country and, and goes on when we're persecuted. So we've got to remember that David was dealing with his commission to enter the land and to remove those nations that were in the land. And they were the enemies of, of David. They were the enemies of the Lord because the Lord had commanded them to take Israel and from the Canaanites. Um, they were devising plots. David had enemies even in his own household devising plots. There's many Psalms that we'll get into with regards to that. Um, and we do have enemies, people that can give us problems, or people that, uh, like I said, Jesus said he'll cause division, even in your own household. When you get saved, they're not your enemies. They don't know what they're doing. But the things they're saying can be an enemy to your soul. Maybe the lies, lies can be the enemy. But the truth is, um, David's heart was, was in the battles that he fought for the God of Israel. These were the enemies of God. They wanted to defeat David, they wanted to defeat Israel, and they wanted to defeat God. And their works were evil, it says. Um, James says friendship with the world is enmity towards God. Paul says in Romans 8, those that live according to the flesh and carnally minded, and to be carnally minded is death because the carnal mind is enmity towards God. If you turn to Romans 5, you know, David said to these guys, let fire swallow them up and that their kids be cut off. He did not want to be on David's bad side or more truly the Lord's have his face against you. Um, but Romans 5, uh, 6 through 11, you know, God has lots of enemies. And I think we'll be a little surprised to find out who they are and who they were sitting in this room, sitting up here. For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. 
Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, he shall surely, we shall surely be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice, here it is again, having that joy in the Lord. Um, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received that reconciliation. And together with that, look at Colossians 1. That's right, every single one of us in this room, hopefully you're not still, but you were enemies of God. All that David's talking about. What was our future before we knew Jesus? Well, we'll look at that too. Colossians 1, 19 through 23. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross, and you, once, who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled, and he and in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Boy, that's a good study right there. Look up what above reproach means. That means that if you hired the most talented detective and lawyer, and they were able to search through every single thing you ever did in your life, and the books are opened. They would think they'd find anything, <laughs> but not when you're in Jesus. They can't find anything because you're blameless. And in whose sight? And when God's sight, who, who before him all things are laid bare. Where was I? Uh, and above reproach, that's that word, above reproach. Even if they try finding it, they can't. If indeed, if you continue in the faith, if indeed you stay grounded and steadfast and are not moved, there it is again, away from the hope of the gospel, which you have heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, have become a minister. You know, don't be moved. It's not like you need to be afraid, but just have respect for the fact that, indeed, the Lord has saved us and given us this incredible hope, this incredible, uh, you know, glorious future. And as such, we keep our eyes on that. We keep focused on that. He's sealed us with his Holy Spirit, the Bible says, and as a result, you know, nothing is going to separate us from him. What did Jesus do to his enemies? When you think of all that David wanted to see happen on his enemies, what you think of what we think that we'd want to have on our enemies sometimes, what did Jesus do for his enemies or to his enemies? Well, he died for their sins. And he reconciled them. He redeemed them. He offers them eternal life if they would repent. And he invited them to a wedding feast. He so loves the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him, he will have eternal life. What if they reject his offer? Well, there's no other name under heaven by which man must be saved. And, and you know, without Jesus, what did David say? Let him be burned. Well, that's not what was supposed to happen for us. But he came and he saved us from our sins and he died for our sins. What's left if you reject that? Well, hell was not made. The lake of fire was not created for any man. 
It was never not. It was never made for that. That was made for Satan. That was made for his demons. That's what hell and the lake of fire was created for. But because we reject that one name under heaven, that or if, if whoever rejects that, there's nothing left. Only one name under heaven by which man can be saved, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, um, it is the final destination for all those whose names are not found in the book of life, is what Revelation 20 says. Because there, death and Hades will be thrown into the lake of fire. Long after David had, you know, Israel had fallen into idolatry and um, the kings that followed began to follow after God, other gods and other false gods like Baal and Molech and all these other foreign gods of the nations around them. And uh, they would do unspeakable evil. Um, you read the accounts in, in Second Kings and so forth and, and through the prophets. Well, God ended up sending them into captivity. And at the end of the captivity, God had raised up Ezra and Nehemiah. If you want to turn to the book of Nehemiah. Um, and so they returned to Jerusalem. And they uh, began to fill in the surrounding towns and they began to build the walls. And uh, they'd finish the gates and more and more captive, those out of captivity would come back under King Cyrus and uh, were allowed to come back to Israel, come back to Jerusalem. Most of the cities around because Jerusalem is in rubble. And as they begin to build the walls up and put doors on the gates, they would begin to move in. And so we picked that up in um, Nehemiah chapter 8, uh, 1 through 12. When the seventh month came, the children of Israel were in their cities. Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. And so Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. And then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday before the men and women and those who could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And so Ezra the scribe stood on a platform of wood which they had made for the purpose. And beside him at his right hand stood these guys. And Ezra opened the book and in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord and uh, the great God. And then all the people answered, Amen and Amen. And while lifting up their hands, they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And also Jeshua, Benai, and, and these guys, so, so sorry. But they, they began to understand. Look at verse 7 in the middle there. These guys all helped the Levites, helped the people to understand the law. And, and he says, the people stood in their place. So they read distinctly from the book of the law of God and they gave the sense and helped them to understand what was being read. But look at their response. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and the scribe and all the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn. Do not weep. For all the people were weeping from this when they had heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, 
Go your way. Eat the fat. Drink the sweet. Send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared for this day. Is holy to the Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So all the Levites quieted all the people, saying, Be still, quit with all the mourning and all the wailing, for the day is holy, do not be grieved. And all the people look, just like David, just like David when he, at the end of chapter 16 in Chronicles, he went to his own house and blessed it. But he made sure that they all had food, they all had uh, bread, meat, and dessert. That's what a cake of raisins was. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink, to send portions and rejoice greatly because they understood the words that were declared to them. When they heard the, the word of God, they began to understand it. They all wept. They saw how far away they had come from the law. And now after being in captivity and coming back, the temple or the Jerusalem, the walls being built, you know, it brought them to sorrow for all that they had missed and for all that had happened. And the whole rest of chapter, uh, thir- uh, chapter 8 is they, they celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Well, the Feast of Tabernacles was when the children of Israel were coming back from Egypt and they had to sleep in tents. And the Lord made it a feast so that they'd remember, I have brought you out of Egypt. I have brought you from your sins. And if you're going to have a remembrance, remember that when you were being delivered. And remember in the book of Revelation, Jesus says, you know, remember the first things when you first got saved. Remember that joy. And have that in your heart and mind to have, a, have something that reminds you of when you first got saved, to keep that joy, to keep that first love. And so um, that's, what, uh, that's what the Feast of Tabernacles were about. Well, then in chapter 9, they go on to confess their sins. And um, you can read that on your own. Um, but they, you know, said, don't be grieved. Don't mourn. You know, they were brought back from captivity. That word brought conviction. But then they confessed their sins. In chapter 9, 2, and 3, the, the host or then those of Israel's lineage, okay, those of Israelite lineage separated themselves from all the foreigners and they stood and confessed all their sins and the iniquities of their fathers and they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law and their God for one-fourth of a day, for another fourth they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. Can you imagine reading the word, realizing they didn't keep it? And then spending the same amount of time they read the word, confessing how they didn't keep it, confessing their sins. Um, true repentance. To hear the word of God, confess your sins, and then rejoice in the strength of the Lord that brought them out. Same way that we can rejoice in that strength that brought us out of our sinful lives. Which one of us here could do that? We're all, we all fall short. You know, we all fall short of the glory of God. Which one of us can straighten out our own lives? You know, we talk about people who get saved in their, you know, latter life and uh, all the things they've done. Uh, just take alcoholism for one. How do you give that up after years and years and decades? And then you realize, you know. So only the Lord can do that. Only the Lord gets the glory for that. Um, David had joy in the strength of the Lord, the strength of his God. And back in Psalm 21, the last verse, um, he greatly rejoiced in the salvation of his God. It says, Be exalted, O Lord God, in your own strength. 
again, you know, we can look at the good things in our lives and we can take a little bit of credit for that. That's really foolish. That's a slippery slide. Only God can do the good things in our lives. And certainly we want to follow him and walk after him and do what we know we're supposed to do. But who gets the glory? And so we can sing and we can praise God's power uh, that he be exalted in his own strength. Um, And so we sing and we praise your power. Amen? Um, Why don't we stand and pray and sing a closing song? Thank you, Lord, so much for your grace and your mercy that saved us. Thank you so much for the cross and taking the wages of sin on yourself, Lord, so that we don't have to pay those wages. But we do love you, Lord, and we want to come before you with singing and praise and lift up your holy name forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen.